Welcome back to Living in the 60s. Hi, this is Craig, and Tom is here with me. Tom, say hello. Hi, hello, hello. <laughs> Tom, today we have another interview with an original member of one of the most popular local groups that existed here in the Twin Cities. They recorded a number one nationwide hit back in 63, and their LP album is recognized by some of the 60s collectors as the holy grail of garage rock. I'm proud to introduce Tony Andreessen, one of the original members of The Trashman, with the big hit record of Surfin' Bird. Welcome and hello, Tony. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, Tony, uh, you know, we um, we had the opportunity uh, to interview James Donna of the Castaways last year and learn what he had to talk about his local group and, and their hit record. And uh, we were just uh, enjoyed the, the uh, rock and roll limelight. Can you bring us back to how the group, the Trashmen, started? For example, I know you originally were going to be a country western star and you had to learn how to, to play the, the guitar. Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, I, I loved uh, bluegrass when I was really young <clears throat> and uh, ended up playing with a bluegrass group, the Platte Valley Boys, for 26 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in fact, the last show we played, we opened for Ricky Skaggs. You know, we played with every bluegrass you ever heard of. And I, I love bluegrass. And I love country music. And uh, started going to Nashville uh, to the Grand Ole Opry when I was 15. Uh, there was a good friend of mine, Mike Jan, and another friend, Larry Johnson, that loved country music. They were 16 and 17, and uh, we drove to Nashville in a 53 Oldsmobile. And uh, I remember that car so much because the shifter would come off every so often. <laughs> We'd have to stick it back in the hole. Uh, but it was a two-door 98 it was a white uh, 53 Oldsmobile. Anyway, we would uh, go down to Nashville, and I I loved country music and uh, uh, loved playing it. And wasn't playing bluegrass, I just liked it. And uh, Mike was a singer, and uh, uh, we started playing together. Uh, he would play guitar, I'd play guitar. This is in the 50s, and he would sing like Johnny Cash, and I would play like Luther Perkins and uh, learned all of the Johnny Cash songs and how Luther played, uh, enjoyed playing that. And uh, so then I started playing more and more country music, but it was, uh, you know, the, the, the country from the 50s and early 60s. Uh, and I started uh, playing well enough where country groups would call me to, to play. And of course I was underage and I couldn't, uh, supposedly go into bars and uh but i i did anyway i would come in the back door in fact my brother did the same thing when he was younger uh we would come in the back door and uh, just go out on the stage and we'd play the gig for these older country singers and they would pay us eight or ten dollars you know uh and we'd go out the back door and course we couldn't drink or anything but i learned my craft that way uh, knowing the songs that they were going to do and listening to uh, how the guitar players played that style of country 
and um, and of course there was not a lot of money in country music and uh, I really enjoyed rockabilly and uh, for some reason I met some uh, fellows that were in the area there weren't a lot of musicians around at that time uh, and they wanted to put together a band and uh, we always wanted to find a name you know for the band and we had lots of different names the string kings the rhythm kings the ultraphonics uh all kinds of different uh names and uh we uh uh i think uh, formed a band called the travelers it was jim thaxter and this is in the 50s and we started playing some uh, local uh gigs you know at the places uh, in the in the twin cities here the crystal coliseum was one of them and and our pay was you know seven to ten dollars a piece tops <laughs> and uh uh so we would save up enough money to continue to you know uh, uh buy better instruments and uh and learn more and uh, we were just playing cover songs back then with the exception of an occasional song one of us would write and uh, Jim Thaxter and the Travelers, uh, we played for a year and a half or so. And uh, we were playing mostly cover music. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Jim uh, left the band. And uh, we had three of us, Dal Winslow, Steve War, and myself were uh, looking for a bass player. And... Uh, we were playing cover songs. We wanted to play, you know, local dances. We were going to actually interview, you know, uh, bass players to see uh, and try them out to see who would fit in our type of music, whatever that was. And Bob Reed uh, was in town going to Brown Institute. He was going to be a radio announcer. And he was uh, in a number of different rock and roll bands and the Dakotas. He was from Oaks, North Dakota. And uh, anyway, he fit in to our group and uh, we were going to play a, uh, a dance at a local school over in Brooklyn Center and we needed a name for the band. And, uh, we were going through records one day and our, our uh, drummer, Steve War, found this record, The Trashman Blues by a guy named Tony Kyrie. And he said, just jokingly, we should call ourselves the Trashmen. And uh, so we all laughed anyway. Uh, but he showed up at the uh, dance with uh, his drum head painted. Uh, the name the Trashman was painted on the drum head. <laughs> and uh, it kind of stuck. Wow. That is so good. So the guys were from local high schools. Uh, where did you go to high school? And I went to Patrick Henry High School. It was a North Minneapolis school. And Dal Winslow, he was from Robbinsdale, and he went to Robbinsdale High School. Steve War, our drummer, went to Robbinsdale High School. And uh, our bass player, Bob, was from Oaks, North Dakota. So he went to a, a school in Oaks. Okay. So now we heard the story of how the the band got its name. I think everybody is dying to know, how did you come up with the title Surfing Bird? 
Uh, well, we were a surf band. You know, we, we went to California in 1962. I'd never seen the ocean. And uh, we went to Balboa, California, and the Rendezvous Ballroom was there, you know, and there were groups, the Chantays, the Righteous Brothers were just starting up there. And uh, we found surf music, you know, we found Dick Dale, and he was really big on the West Coast. And so I bought every Dick Dale album you could find and brought it home we started playing surf music <clears throat> and uh we were doing all of these surf covers and uh, we were in uh, uh amory wisconsin playing at a place called woodley's country dam it was a big teen place back in the early 60s and there was a group there from california called the uh, uh christensen brothers i think it was and uh, anyway, they played this song, Papa Ooh Mau Mau. We had never heard it before, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and we, it was so crazy, you know, that it was so crazy. Uh, just, uh, there was no really rhyme or reason to it. It was just this Papa Ooh Mau Mau. And um, anyway, we were playing then the next weekend at Chubb's Ballroom here in the Twin Cities. Um, I was on Eagle Lake, I believe. And uh, Bill Deal was uh, the wizard of the wax here back then. He was the deacon of the discs, you know, the Raja <laughs> yeah. of the records. He was a, uh interesting guy, and uh, he would throw records out to the audience, you know, and they were record hops that we did. Well, he was and, with WDGY, right? Yeah, wonderful Ouija. Yep, there you go. Ooh, wow. Yeah, and... Uh, Anyway, uh, he was there, and we were in the back room, and uh, Steve started uh, coming up with this uh, uh, Papa Umau Mau, and everybody's heard about the bird, and uh, he started doing this crazy voice, and uh, we all started laughing like crazy, and I mean, he was uh, kind of bopping around in the room doing this, and uh, we decided we should do that. Uh, and we had a guitar back there in the key of E, you know, uh, that worked. So let's, he said, let's just go out there and we'll do it. And we didn't, had never really rehearsed it or played it. And he said, and I'll just do that until I shake my head to change chords into B, come down to A and then back to E. So it was simple. And so he did that and he shook his head and we, he was doing this, uh, uh, Papa Ooh Mau Mau and the bird is a word. And uh, we got an incredible response from the audience. I mean, they went crazy. And Bill Deal said, do it again. <laughs> well, we so we did it again. We ended up doing it three times, and the audience went nuts listening to this. So he said, you've got to record this. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, what are you going to do? And we said, well... You can imagine rehearsing that song. Uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, we didn't know what we were going to do with it, but we went into the studio, recording studio, and it was uh, at George Garrett's record shop. He had a studio in the basement. Oh. And uh, we went in there and recorded it, and uh, very much like uh, what you hear now, uh, but it was three and a half minutes long. So you can imagine surfing bird for three and a half minutes. 
<laughs> it was too long. He yeah. said, it's got to be two and a half minutes. And so even that was a little long, I guess. But uh, so we went then over to Key Bank Studios and Dell's dad helped us come up with the money to uh, pay for the recording session. And uh, so we recorded it and played it for Bill. And uh, he brought it to WDGY on the Battle of the Bands. Oh, and sure. it was wow, uh, sure. Battle of the Bands, and it was up against Louie Louie by the Kingsmen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it won, you know, but Louie Louie turned out to be a great record, and we ended up, you know, meeting those guys as time went on. But uh, it won, and then they sent it to, uh, it was a WLS in Chicago. Yep. And it won there. And so it was just on an acetate. And they don't do things like that anymore. But... Um, they, you know, we pressed up a bunch of them, and uh, uh, they started playing it on WDGY, and it just went crazy. And so, um, Amos Heilicker owned a pressing plant here, and they pressed up a bunch of records on the Garrett label because he wanted to be our manager. That was an inc- incredible mistake, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it was. Uh, uh, but we didn't know we were young, and right. uh, uh, you know, we. Uh, we recorded that song and it sold, uh, you know, an enormous amount of records. We don't know how many that to this day. We never really got an accounting or anything, and um, that's the way things were back then. We were young and inexperienced, and we had a manager that, um, you know, wasn't looking out for us. So, oh, wow. um, what it was it was too bad, but that was not unusual. You know, it was uh, it was kind of the way things were back then with a lot of people and of course you only got three cents a record back in those days so um, if you had a million seller you know you got thirty thousand dollars to split between your manager and four guys before taxes (laughs) (laughs) you know but so uh anyway uh one of the best things ever happened to us was uh we met uh jimmy thomas who was a booker out of uh, booking agent out of laverne minnesota and uh, he bought us for 10 days and that relationship just on a handshake lasted our whole career on the road he was a wonderful guy and uh, he got us into a lot of really great uh, venues and uh, um, hooked us up with some really nice people you know we our first tour was with Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons wow. so we had some wonderful experiences with them. Where did you travel with Frankie Valley then? Um, just in the the this Minnesota okay. Wisconsin area, we first played the Prom in the Midway, which was a, if you made the Prom, you know you were in the big time. Yeah. And uh, we played the Cato Ballroom in Mankato, the Turp, and the Surf, and you know those ballrooms. Uh, it was just basically ballrooms. And they had uh, Sherry and I think Big Girls Don't Cry. They might have been on their third record. Mm-hmm. We had Surf and Bird, and um, we met them. And you know, the, there wasn't a lot of money to be made back then, and there weren't there were no big venues either. You know, right. uh, the Surf was a big venue, and they held what fifteen hundred people, maybe. Wow. Tell so, us what it was it like when you heard your song the first time on the radio, probably WDGY. 
It was. Uh, I was. Uh, re- we were rehearsing. I was over at Mike Jan's house, and he had a '63 Oldsmobile. And uh, I went out actually just by chance, turned the radio on because I knew they were going to be playing it, and uh, I heard it the first time in his Oldsmobile parked in the driveway. Um, and I talked to lots of uh, recording artists and asked them that very same question about where they were. Bobby V was driving his 50 Mercury to Fargo when he heard uh, Susie Baby, and he said he almost drove off the road. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, did you do uh, radio uh, interviews or appearances with the WDGY and KDWB? We did uh, a lot of... Uh, interviews while we were touring ah, bill okay. deal would call us and uh we would tell him where we were and what we were doing and it was uh, something that evidently he uh thought up and it uh, seemed to work we did i don't know we must have done you know 20 or 30 of those mm-hmm. wow you mentioned some of the local venues um Anything like Ryan's Bass Lake Ballroom? Do you do you remember playing there or Mr. Lucky's or anything? Oh yeah, yeah, Mr. Lucky's. We played there many times. Ryan's Ballroom played there many times. Mr. Lucky's was really quite a experience. I mean, uh, <clears throat> there was uh, lots of groups that played there. I mean, I think everybody that was around at that time. Gregory Dean, the Ivani's, you know, and all those groups, they all played there. Uh, the South 40 played there. Um, I think just about everybody played there, and it was uh, uh, a place to go, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had a lot of great memories of, uh, you know, working those places. We would have battles of the bands, you know, back then. And uh, uh, somebody asked me recently <clears throat> about the Underbeats, you know, who became Gypsy. Yes. Yes. Yep. And we had a number of Battle of the Bands, and we would go out to the Cato Ballroom, Battle of the Bands, the Prom, the Battle of the Bands with uh, the Underbeats, because the, the two, we were, I think, the two most popular groups, I mean, as far as drawing people at that time. And people would ask us, gee, you know, you guys would get up and uh you would play and they would want to know who who the crowd liked better and they they just didn't get it and they said well how did you get along with those guys i mean (laughs) what did you do you were on the same stage and i said well most of the time when we got done with the battle of the bands we'd all get together and have pizza and drink beer (laughs) (laughs) just just like professional wrestling (laughs) yeah we knew all those guys very well and and uh uh, i mean we were friends uh remain friends with those guys and to this day you know they're when i see them donnie larson lives up he was the bass player for gypsy and the the underbeats he lives up in northern Minnesota, but when you see those guys, it's like it's like time stood still. Yeah. Um, Jim Johnson, who was a real close friend of mine, just passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, he was a great guitar player, and a lot of things people don't know about him too. You know, he uh, uh, he recorded with Ray Charles. Ray Charles recorded his some of his music 
Um, he was a great guitarist, I would say, uh, real innovator, you know, coming up with hooks for uh, songs uh, and, and recordings. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was a, he was an amazing guy. And, and um, a lot of those guys, uh, you know, are gone now. Um, I still see some some people from once in a while with those with those groups, but uh, you know, Greg D and the Ivani's. There's only one left in the band. Wow, that's still alive. Yeah, I was going to ask you which of the local groups you played with. You pretty much named them all. How about Danny's Reasons or Del Counts, or were they a little later or? They were later, and uh, I just saw Danny Stevens a couple months ago. Uh, saw him at Costco, <laughs> as a matter of fact, uh, and uh, ran into him. And of course, uh, we we uh, chatted for twenty minutes or so. Uh, but Danny was one of the first show bands that uh, I remember. Um, there was uh, most everybody, you know, had guitars and bass and and keyboard but you know they would have they would have horns and um they they were uh, the first real show band i think around here there's one other one i'm trying to remember too from way back in the day but i'll uh, think about them hopefully before we uh, are off the air uh, tony who who are some of the national bands uh, you guys played with and you also traveled in europe too right we traveled all over europe uh, we didn't realize that we were big in Europe. Uh, it, it, it astonished us, really. Uh, Bobby V came back from a tour in Europe, and, and I was talking to him, and he said, you guys are really big in Europe. Have you ever thought about going over there? <laughs> and uh, this is about two, this is way after the fact. This is in 2000, uh, maybe three or four, something like that because we hadn't played in a long time and uh, I got a call from uh, Deke Dickerson, I think it was, from Los Angeles and he uh, and Eddie Angel and they said, you know, would you guys be interested in coming to Las Vegas and doing a show in Las Vegas? We, well, yeah, we would. <laughs> yeah. So we hadn't played, uh, you know, for a while but uh, we played a, a, a it was a show, it was called the Las Vegas Grind. And boy, it was attended. Uh, we just had a ball. And then we started doing a few shows once in a while, some, uh, you know, uh, classic rock shows. And we would, these shows would be uh, featuring, you know, Jan and Dean and and Bobby, Bobby V, and the Crickets without Buddy Holly, of course, and got to know those guys who had incredible stories you know joe b and jerry allison um who were in the original cricket band they had some great stories they're both gone but uh they passed away but wonderful guys anyway uh we uh went over there and uh and then started doing some of these classic rock shows and bobby told us about europe so eddie angels uh, he lives in nashville his wife book bands and Eddie uh, toured in, in uh, Europe a lot uh, and so um, anyway she booked us in uh, in Spain and uh, 
we uh, went over there for just one show to see what would happen. And the gal that uh, booked us, uh, she uh, just told us that it was sold out. Wow. And so we went over there to Valencia, Spain. That's where it was. Wow. And uh, we had a sold out show. So she booked us then for, I think, six dates in uh, Germany, Italy, and uh, Belgium. And so we did those six dates, and the same thing happened. We had great crowds and had a lot of fun. And so we ended up doing over 100 shows, I think, in uh, Europe. uh, And uh, lots of shows in Germany, lots of shows in uh, Belgium and uh, uh, the Netherlands. And we even went to Iceland. We flew over to Iceland to do two shows. Wow, wow. Our neighbors, it, ju- our neighbors just across the street are in Iceland now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, wow. you know, uh, I don't know what the weather is like over there now, but uh, the one thing I remember about Iceland was uh, if we wanted to put our guitars on the airplane, we had to pay another fare, just like a person. Mm. Uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow us to take the guitar unless we paid another fare. So we left our. Uh, guitars on our you know in this big van we traveled in a big mercedes stretch one of these high mercedes stretch vans and uh left our guitars there and we flew over there and uh the the uh, people that booked the show said we've got two uh fender guitars for you and a fender bass for your bass player well we got over there and that was not the case Hmm. and uh the guitars they had for us, they just were, they were awful. Uh, so I had to take the guitar in and I actually set it up myself. We played that one show, but there happened to be a Fender dealer rep there, evidently, at that show because, uh, you know, we were known to play Fender instruments. And that next night that we played, he had brand new uh, Fender instruments for us to play. So that was nice. Oh. What a phenomenal story from Minneapolis to international exposure. I mean, what were you thinking when all this was happening? Or didn't, I mean, it was just spinning around you, right? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I was a kid from North Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, during the 60s, we knew this wasn't going to last long. I mean, when the British invasion happened. Uh, you know, uh, United States bands. You couldn't, you couldn't sell anything. It was all British, you know. And so w- when we retired in '67, we kind of knew that uh, we we didn't want to play acid rock. So, uh, uh, although I could play it, you know, and I went in and did uh, a few recording sessions playing that stuff, and I didn't like it. So I just didn't want to do it anymore, and. Uh, and uh, so I didn't. And, uh, but we were just flattered. I mean, and, you know, the, the thing that a musician wants, the, the highlight would be to have a, a record that's played on, on the air, let alone to have it on the national charts, you know. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having a number of records on the national charts, and it, and it was uh, just, uh, 
just uh we were so flattered by that i think and uh we didn't i don't know why we never got involved in uh you know drugs or anything like that um i think that was kind of before the drug invasion so to speak mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we didn't uh didn't do it uh, we didn't have any stories to tell of uh tearing up hotel rooms or anything uh we were pretty uh we didn't uh, do any crazy stuff on the road because we get uh, and uh, we didn't have a lot of wild parties or anything because our touring consisted of I think we did 292 dates in 1964 wow wow man and so it was a business you know and we had to uh, we had to be someplace else the next day uh, but we were so flattered that people would buy our music and listen to us and uh when we retired in 67 our kind of music was kind of out the british music was in and you know that happens but then in the 80s particularly when uh, once in a while we would get a call to do one of these classic rock shows i mean just once in a great while we would do it but people seemed to like what we were doing uh, you, you mentioned Tommy James in the Shondells. Uh, well, his his band. Uh, he was he was playing a, a show with us in Sterling, Illinois, mm. uh, and uh, they had forty five minutes between acts that would come on there. So I really remember this about Tommy James because he was a big record collector, as I told you earlier. And um, his manager came over and had us sign a whole bunch of uh, albums and things uh, for his collection, I guess. Um, and uh, he was on before us, and the the crowd it was there were about ten thousand people there. It was a lot of people, and you could see that they were, you know, this forty five minutes of the bands getting their drum sound and everything, and they had a they had a drum kit up there and the, you know, they would pound on the drums to get their sound. So anyway, we went up and we were uh, supposed to play for 60 minutes. And uh, we went up on stage and I just, uh, I told the sound guy, the drums are already tuned in. We don't have to do that. We're just two guitars, bass and drums. You got a microphone for each one of us. We're gonna forget the sound check. We're just gonna play. <laughs> and so, and he looked at me and I said, "Well, I'm serious. I mean, the microphones work, right? You know, and the uh, you got the here are amplifiers, microphones in front of it. We're gonna do a song that's real easy. You can tune us in." So I just remember at that place because Tommy James was out there. Uh, I just said to the audience, you know, screw the sound check. We're here to party, right, gang? Oh, and wow. they all said, yeah. And so we just started playing. So we played for an hour and 45 minutes. Wow. An hour and 45. Wow. See, in, in 2017, you were awarded the Bill Deal Award. Uh, congratulations. And can you tell us that was what that was about? It was uh, mostly about a lot of things that I did. Uh, part of the Trashman, you know, being part of the Trashman. It was for that, I guess, and uh, the music award. Uh, Jimmy Johnson got the, f- I think yeah, the first one, and it it's starting up again. But when COVID happened, it stopped, you know, uh, and now it started up again. But it was uh, 
I, I recorded a lot of bands back then. We got a lot of bands started. Mike Jan and I had a, a couple of record labels and uh, we recorded the underbeats and the, you know, the South 40 and Cornerstones and all these record, these, these uh, bands that were around here that wanted to uh, come out with records. And uh, we would try to, you know, help finance them and uh, we would try to kind of, you know, get them going, and uh, and we made enough money to do another session. You know, we did uh, uh, the South Forty at the Someplace Else Live, and it was a great live album. To this day, when you listen to it, I think one of the really good live albums that was recorded. If you ever get a chance to find it, it was called Live at the Someplace Else. Really good live album. Uh, really gives you a feel of what was going on at that time. I produced that, hmm. uh, and it was, uh, and they became, uh, you know, Crow after that. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, because of those things, I did a lot of uh, record producing. I played with um, the uh, uh, Platte Valley Boys for 26 years playing bluegrass music in fact we're going to play again in august we got a call from the minnesota bluegrass association to put the band back together because uh rhonda vinson is a big country artist and uh she's headlining that festival this year and they wanted us to open for her so Wonderful. that's nice that's cool uh, wow. it'll wow. be fun wow. see uh had you you must have heard the uh the great things that Weird Al Yankovic had said about you guys. I want to quote a little bit here. He talked about the surfing bird. He said, this song was and continues to be a personal inspiration for me when I write a song. It was heartwarming, heart-wrenching, love ballad, or it could be a food-based song parody. I always take a moment to contemplate, what would the trash men do? <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Oh, I never. Uh, I, I yeah, never. Did, I, yeah. <laughs> I know he. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's so flattering to hear people like that that are nationally known that uh, know about us. You know, I got a call from Sundays um, back when we had a. Uh, it was a uh, four CD box set that was released back in 1999, I believe. And uh, they they called me, and it, it's it sold so well. It was the best selling box that they've ever had, um, and it was on the list for best selling box sets for the year. Um, but there were you know there were people uh, I mean Hollywood personalities that were calling them hmm. to uh, to get um, that box set or get a number of them, wow. and uh, that really amazed me you know that uh, uh these people know who we are we are and um i remember steve allen you remember steve allen sure do. Yes. Tonight yep. Show? yep when i was doing a radio show on wcco with dan hertzgard we had a number of people on there uh as guests and one of them was steve allen and uh steve allen one of the the, the craziest things i ever saw on his show he had a tuxedo on and he came out of a great big shiny garbage can and recited surfing bird word <laughs> for word wow 
Wow. And uh, I asked him if he remembered that, and boy, did he remember that. He said he got so much, uh, you know, so many phone calls, studio did, and lots of letters on it. They wanted him to do it again. Can you imagine that? Oh. Uh, <laughs> reciting Surfenberg. But uh, they have people like Steve Allen who knew <laughs> who we were. And uh, I even asked him, do you have that, that uh, recording? And he said he did. Oh, terrific. You know, uh, Weird Al continued to, to say, by equating the wor bird with the word loudly and repeatedly, the trashmen proved conclusively why they deserve to be immortalized in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's what he said. Isn't that something? Yeah. 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 You know, we, we just before we uh, retired again, uh, we played the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in uh, Cleveland, mm -hmm. and uh, and they gave us a uh, we had a an hour in their theater, you know, for people to come in and take pictures and things. And um, they had to sign the wall, and I mean, for us to sign the wall next to, you know, the Beach Boys and the Astronauts, and, uh, you know, all of these. Uh, people that we've heard of in the past uh, and to uh, you know put our picture up on the wall was really uh, it was a, a big deal to us people have said that um, the bird should be in the rock hall of fame but uh, you know uh, I, I don't know if that'll ever happen but it's it it the the, the song has just uh, it keeps living you know uh, it's it's you know used in Family Guy and and uh, numerous movies and uh, I still get calls like like you guys call me and uh, want to talk about those thrilling days of yesteryear <laughs> that's what they were uh, great days uh, my daughter says was it as good as they they make it look in movies and i said no it was better than that <laughs> really yeah. it really was well tony congratulations on uh, making such a huge impact on not only the local the national but international scene and giving back to the music community as you have and to keep on playing is fantastic and and we appreciate it and we really appreciate you being on living in the 60s and if it works out, we'd love to have you back again. But because we'd like to, we'd like to talk a little bit more also about some of the songs and stuff and, and additional songs, right? Because you guys are so so good. I'm I'm excited. I'd love to get out to see uh, see that uh, bluegrass uh, music that you're doing now. Oh, thanks. You know, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm really flattered that you called me. And uh, there's a lot of things to talk about, like Larry the Pole that wrote a lot of our music and. Uh, helped us along with some of those uh, songs that he wrote, King of the Surf being one of them. Um, what really was flattering to us was Dick Dale said that was his favorite surf song. Oh, wow. love it. Well, thank you again for being on Living in the 60s, and have a great day. Thank you so much. We will stay in thank touch. Thank you, you guys. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.